found out that one of them was a construction worker. He wasn't even a nurse. He was posing as a nurse for two weeks. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And then I was there for, it took me. Yeah. He was a construction worker because they were bringing on nurses so fast. They weren't validating the licenses. No nursing license at all. I had to have the police like go after him. I literally, I talked to the staffing agency. I talked to admin two days and all his patients kept dying and dying. dying. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is George Roach, and I'm the executive director of The Lion Canada and The Lion International. I want to welcome all of you to Behind the Line, the facts, and the fiction. And boy, do we have a group of people here today who know both of those distinctions. And we're going to do our best to teach you exactly what we feel are the facts and the fiction. I want to welcome all of you. Doug. Hi, everybody. My name is Doug McKinty. I'm the co-host of Behind the Lines. Happy to be working with uh, George and the Lion International and the Lion Canada to get you news and information that you're not going to get from the mainstream. Today, we are joined by Dr. Mark McDonald of America's Frontline Doctors and uh, a number of nurses from the Global Frontline Nurses Organization. And we're going to really have an in-depth discussion about exactly how these COVID lockdowns are affecting medical professionals that are opposed to the lockdowns and opposed to some of the treatment protocols that have really been imposed by the corporate hierarchy and the government hierarchy. Uh, So I wanna welcome everyone to the show. We have a lot of people on today and I'm just gonna ask everyone to introduce themselves very quickly, tell just a little bit of the background of your own personal story and then we'll get into the show. So uh, Alex, do you wanna go first? Sure. Hi. Thanks, everyone, for having me here. I'm Alex Flutt. I'm coming from Massachusetts, United States. I'm one of the Global Frontline Nurses. Um, I spoke in D.C. back in January, and I've been active kind of in the health freedom movement in the last two years um, following my son's medical journey himself. Um, I have history in the hospital of two years and then was working as a full-time school nurse the past four years before um, the lockdowns began. Great. And Dr. McDonald? Mark McDonald. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, so I'm a medical doctor specializing in psychiatry with a focus on young people who I treat and evaluate for emotional and mental illness. And Catherine, how about you? Hi, my name's Catherine. I'm coming from Southern California, and I've been a nurse for 17 years, uh, worked in hospitals for the last 20 years, um, a lot of critical care experience. And uh, the last few years, I've been um, reviewing quality cases. So that's my story. Awesome. And uh, Sarah, how about you? Hi, my name is Sarah Shijunian. I'm from Toronto, and I've been a nurse since 2004. I worked in long-term care for most of my career and also in the community with kids. Um, I've also personally dealt with a lot of trauma and done a lot of um, work on on my mental health and completely transformed my life and also therefore started an organization called Lighting Up Dark Corners to empower survivors to heal and rise. And so that's also a big topic for me. Um, when the lockdowns started, uh, well, the second lockdowns, I was, I can stay quiet anymore because if you work in a nursing home, you know very well that um, the government doesn't care about these people. And so spoke out online first was terminated for that and then 
went to DC and was terminated from my second job and now under investigation. And so now we are doing global frontline nurses and Canadian frontline nurses, and we want to change the system mm -hmm. and make it more into a preventative care, natural healing, and looking at the person as a whole. So that's what our new, that's what our mission is. Awesome, Sarah, thanks for that. And Jessica, how about you? Uh, so my name is Jessica Ferroni. I've been a nurse now for 10 years, um, primarily in uh, post-anesthetic care, um, operating room, um, also within the last year specifically when the pandemic hit, focusing um, on long-term care and uh, acute brain injury um, and stroke and rehab in the hospital setting. Um, I just went to Tanzania not too long ago for five weeks to volunteer as a nurse. Um, and I just got back two weeks ago. Um, and when I refused the hotel and the quarantine and the mask wearing and um, the COVID test, um, that's kind of when everything blew up on me and went viral. Um, so yeah, I'm just here to shed light on my personal experiences through this pandemic. Yeah. Very good. Very good, Jessica. Thanks a lot for that. Um, and I just want to let our audience know we do have a few other panelists that may show up and a few panelists that have to leave right at the 60 minute mark. I think we're going to end up going a little bit longer than that just to really make sure that we have the time to get in depth uh, into some of these nurses' stories, uh, the problem with the system and some solutions to that problem. Um, so there will just be a few people that'll pop in and then and then a few people that pop out at, at 60 minutes. So bear with us on that. And uh, now I'll hand it over to George. I know you had the first question, George. Thanks, Doug. So let's face it, we can all agree right now, doctors all over the world don't seem to be practicing medicine in a very free manner, as they should be. They're being dictated to by their governments. There's many people we all know collectively uh, in, in our own lives that, uh, that I mean, uh, that we no longer speak to. We've lost some friends. We've lost people that we've known for years who we once respected and, 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 and understood. And suddenly COVID came to town and the line in the sand was drawn. Dr. Mark, it, the distinction here is clear with this group. There's nobody here that knows anything but the language of truth. Yeah, we have these doctors who are responsible for taking care of us. What is the characteristic here in character and mindset that separates a group of people with this much qualification embedded in it from the doctors who are still obeying the narrative that we all know to be false? Well, it's a, it's a very important and a very difficult question to answer. It's one I've been pondering for almost a year now. Uh, Many, many of the colleagues that I used to admire and trust as doctors, I'm now skeptical of uh, because they appear to have failed in their mission to protect their patients and to um, give the best and most up-to-date and honest care possible. I think that it depends on the person as to why that's happened. Uh, for some people, uh, it's uh, pure ignorance. It's not an excuse because as a physician, your obligation is to keep up-to-date with current medical practice and information and to think for yourself and to think critically and then to apply that to your patients. Some doctors, many doctors have simply fallen down on that job. They listen to 
um, news bursts and push ads coming out of their phone from Yahoo News and CNN and a lot of mainstream news organizations that are uh, not only biased, but also spreading misinformation and false information, uh, which is really unfortunate. Those doctors have simply lost their way. There are others, though, that I am uh, I'm truly uh, frightened of. Uh, and these are the physicians who actually uh, do know better, but they've made uh, a Machiavellian choice to protect their professional reputation, their practice, their income, uh, perhaps their job uh, on the uh, sacrificial altar of their patients. I'm hesitant to judge anyone uh, for not being courageous when your job and your income and your, your, your profession, your license is at stake. I, I, I'm not in a position right now to uh, really suffer those types of risks because I own my own practice. I don't work for an organization like Kaiser or UCLA or Cedar sinai as some of my colleagues right. do. So I am somewhat sympathetic to that. Um, however, uh, when you're in an occupation like medicine, I think you have a, a higher duty or obligation than if you're simply in um, a, uh, a warehouse job or you're uh, working as a, a carpenter or uh, a real estate agent. I think that your, your duty, as you are, say, with a teacher, if you're teaching children, I think you have the same obligation to put your children first, not to put your own emotional uh, anxieties and your Absolutely. attention first, which is obviously not happening in the United States and other countries. So with physicians, I think they do have that a higher obligation. And I think many of them uh, have failed in that regard, even though they know better, because essentially they lack courage. So to summarize, I think that there's two main groups of doctors who failed, the ignorant and the cowardly. And then there's a smaller subset that are really Machiavellian and, and actually malicious and dangerous. I think that's a small number, um, but I think it's present. And I think uh, those are the people that um, uh, really should be called out. The others, uh, I think, should be nudged in the right direction. Uh, and I'm certainly disappointed in them. Definitely. Well, I'm certainly all for tempering a little mercy with our evaluations about the conduct of some of these people. Yep, they're faced with the stark reality of having to pay the bills like the rest of us. However, at what point does such a denial become a betrayal against the people that they should be protecting unequivocally, at least to the extent that they do no harm? I think it's interesting we have this group of people here. The one question I thought about while I was lying awake last night in my bed really struck me, and I brought this to uh, Doug's attention as well. I believe that there is a moment that every one of us, I know for me this is true, but I don't want to speak for anybody else, but there is a moment when we go from our professional daily habits as we conduct our, our work in our stations, in our hospitals or clinics, there is a certain moment where the person crosses over from that usual uh, routine daily to I'm now an activist. I want to know from each of you, what was that point that you said to yourself, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I know this is in the public, is a matter of public interest. I need to do my duty to do no harm, hold on to my Hippocratic oath, and act on it in the service of protecting every member of our country, knowing that I am a frontline contributor. Who wants to go first? I can go. Thanks, sir. Yeah, okay. So for me, um, it was very difficult because, like I said, I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, so I get triggered. 
And so I have a hard time managing myself, which, you know, I've done a lot of work on and I, I did very well before the lockdowns, but it's a little bit more difficult now. So during the first lockdowns, I was kind of vocal. I was triggered and, you know, things were bothering me, but we weren't really sure. And the way people reacted to me, because I was also in the union and the union was against me. And I felt like I better be quiet because I'm not sure and I might lose my job. But when the second lockdowns came, it was just too much. Like I'm, I'm sober. I go to the gym for two, three hours a day to keep myself uh, well, you know, mentally. And so I was so triggered that um, I, I was going to explode. And so I, I couldn't be quiet anymore. And like I said, I went online, you know, I was, you know, I was talking a lot about it and I, and I was terminated. And for me, the fact that they tried to take my voice away, I couldn't be quiet. I don't have the capacity. You know, I'm so triggered. There's everywhere. There's abuse. It's everywhere. We're in it. We can't come out of it. So for me, it was like, I just had to do it or I wasn't going to be able to survive myself. So right. that's mine. Yeah. Fantastic. I Jessica, you want to, Oh yeah, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, mm -hmm. Jessica. We'll get, um, there. we'll get there to you. No, no worries. Um, so for me, basically I was working in the school and I had been feeling kind of uneasy in the position, obviously at, in my role, at, you know, I have to maintain my job and follow the state rules that have been imposed and what we work from. Um, but I was feeling more and more uneasy with the fact that there was legislation proposed that would take away parents' rights, um, while at the same time implying, you know, imposing new immunizations required on the students. Um, so I saw this kind of balance, like being tested. And so that was just in the back of my mind. You know, obviously, I continue to do my job and collect the data as I needed. Um, but for me, that turning point was in the spring when um, in the middle of an actual nurse, you know, Zoom call, there were other nurses using the term anti-vaxxer, um, which right then and there was kind of like, I don't, you know, we are nurses, we are trained to call out bullying and discrimination. Um, we are patient advocates first and foremost. Um, so when, when a derogatory term or a negative label is being used in the workplace and encouraged and accepted, that to me was the moment where I, I needed to speak up um, because I'm not going to tolerate, you know, negative labels placed on our students who I need to advocate for. They had some of them have valid exemptions and exist in our schools. We can't be calling names um, to families or children that are in the school. So at that point, Absolutely. I spoke up. Yeah, reached out to our nurse leader. Um, I didn't get any response. And that was the same kind of as Sarah. That's when I was was let go as well. Amazing. And Catherine, yeah. Catherine, I, I understand that you uh, you worked in a hospital that was using hydroxychloroquine treatments, and then you moved to a hospital that did not. And that I can only imagine how frustrating that must have been for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really eye opening for me. Um, I've only worked in California as a nurse, um, so lots of experience in California. And when the pandemic started, I was um, reviewing charts um, up in Northern California, and those patients were getting um, intubated right away. And, um, you know, having so-so outcomes. And then when that contract ended, I was moved to um, a contract in the Midwest, and those patients were getting the hydroxychloroquine. Um, they were getting the 
zinc, and then they were getting um, usually zosin. And those patients uh, were doing really, really well. I didn't have um, I didn't have any deaths from COVID that whole that whole contract. Wow. And so um, that definitely opened opened my eyes and just blew my mind because it really. Um, I mean, who would have thought the political atmosphere of the location of the hospital would would dictate the type of treatments that the physicians were allowed to use? Um, and I, I mean, how how bad is I mean, I I have, you know, a long history of mistrust with the medical system, um, but how far gone are we? I mean, is it even salvageable, salvageable our medical system now if politics are dictating the treatment of our patient. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It was so frustrating for me covering that because I, I very closely watched the whole hydroxychloroquine thing as it evolved. And clearly the science, there was like a faux science where they were, you know, they were overdosing patients and then going, see how dangerous this is. But the actual yes. science was clearly showing that it was true. And then, oh, but Trump said, so it must be wrong. And people, I mean, they're killing people, you know, based on some kind of political uh, ideology rather than just caring about the patient. I, I can only, I mean, you're the actually first person I've talked to that's dealt with it firsthand. And I can only imagine how traumatizing it must have been. Yeah, it's just it's it's beyond frustrating. I don't. And then after after Tulsa, I went back to Los Angeles, and um, those patients were getting the remdesivir, and the doctors they they know it's not working. Um, all the patients I had with remdesivir, many of them got you know had elevated liver enzymes. They they were not faring well on the remdesivir, and yet we just kept pushing it because of single studies, because of the political agenda. So it's, it's very frustrating. And also, you know, in, in Los Angeles, in the hospital where I'm at, it, it was a very poor Hispanic community. And so um, there weren't a lot of advocates, uh, you know, compared to what, you know, in a primarily white hospital in the Midwest. So it's just, it's very, very frustrating as a nurse trying to do the right thing for your patient and, um, and knowing the agendas underneath, it's very hard to be a part of. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the program. We're just getting uh, everybody's initial stories. I'll give you a couple seconds to get settled and we'll get right back to you. All Jessica. Right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Jessica, I know you were in Tanzania and the and the mm -hmm. treatment there was just totally different, huh? And then when you got back to Canada, why don't you tell the audience what that transition was like? Yeah, so for me, um, you know, I started to question things when I was being put, you know, in the worst of the worst COVID homes, um, on hospital-specific COVID floors. Like, it just, it wasn't adding up what the media was portraying and what I was personally experiencing. So as the lockdown measures continued to get worse and worse, um, I was just like, I can't deal with this. Like, mentally, emotionally, I need to, I need to get out of this mess. So mm -hmm. I decided to go to Tanzania because... They have absolutely no lockdown measures. There's no mask wearing. There's no social distancing. It's just life as we knew it. Um, 
you know, lots of community, human inter, just human interaction. I was like craving normal human interaction. So I was um, doing volunteer work at a poor hospital and, you know, they don't have a lot of resources. So they're not wearing masks for COVID. Sometimes they're not even wearing masks, you know, with their patients unless it imposed like specific risk like um, bodily fluids or um, they had TB or something that posed that risk. So, you know, we're all, there's like 20 volunteers. We're all living together. We're all living normally. We're in the healthcare system. And I'm not seeing people drop dead here of COVID. You know, you see malaria, you see dehydration, you're seeing all these other issues, but I wasn't seeing COVID. So on the way home, we had to get tested to uh, to get back home. So I tested negative. Um, and then that was just my breaking point. I was just like, I need to stand in my truth. I can't just continue to follow this narrative anymore. Um, so I just said, no, like I'm not quarantining in a hotel. I'm not taking another COVID test and I'm not wearing a mask. Like enough is enough. I just am living proof of living completely free and normal in Africa. Nobody's dropping dead there. So like, I'm not doing it anymore. And then that kind of went viral. There was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of reporting to the College of Nurses um, on the basis of I'm a conspiracy theorist. So it just took that turn. Right. And now, yeah, I'm just dealing with uh, the backlash of it, but I'm still standing in my truth because at what point do you say like enough is enough? We're actually doing, we're creating more harm and our job is to protect the public. That's what the college of nurses they're there for to protect the public. So the fact that I'm being censored even more when I'm bringing up these issues, it's just lighting an even bigger fire under my butt to speak the truth. So, yeah, the opposite I, effect of what they would have expected. Yeah. Exactly. And if that doesn't work out, I'm moving to Tanzania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm just so sad that you got to, you know, you got to go all the way to Tanzania to get this human interaction that you're craving. That's that's really right. a, a sign of the yeah. times, isn't it? It's and it's sad because more families, you know, we're all starting to divide. There's this clear line now that's happening between people. And COVID, it's ripping families apart. It's ripping friendships apart. It's ripping human interaction apart. So there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mark, just Doug, just before you introduce uh, our our two people, Dr. Mark, have you noticed an increase in the intensity of family division in your work because of this and what people are believing? Well, I can give you one good example of this. A few months ago, a patient, 16 years old, ADHD, healthy, well, uh, stuck at home, of course, um, staying safe, safer at home, all of that nonsense, was meant to come back to my practice for a follow-up visit. And his mother suggested to my scheduler that they do it via Zoom. Um, and I asked why, and she said, well, we, you know, the royal we, we are not going out much these days. And I said, well, I would prefer that he come in person because I can perform a better evaluation and I can uh, 
stay in touch with him as a child, it's difficult to get anything really through a Zoom screen. They're always distracted. They're always playing video games. She then pushed further and said, well, we don't feel, again, we don't feel comfortable coming to your office. I said, well, how does your son feel? And she got a little flustered and it was clear that it was actually her anxiety that was creating the problem. I pushed back again and I said, I insist that he come into the office. He's 16 years old. Um, he's at greater risk of you driving him to the supermarket than of dropping dead from this Chinese flu virus. She became hysterical. She hung up on me. And soon after that, her husband, who's a very calm, very rational man, sent me a very polite, apologetic email and said, I'm so sorry, Dr. McDonald, um, but uh, we're going to have to find another psychiatrist to treat our, our son. And I, I'm really grateful for the work you've done with him over six years. He was with me for six years. Uh, my wife and I are just simply not on the same page here. And I'm unable to persuade her to bring our son in. And when I read between the lines, what I interpreted was that he's married to a woman who's hysterical, irrational, and he's unable to do what's best for his child because he's worried about the marital discord that would follow. So there's this rift now between the husband and the wife. Right. This is also happening in the opposite direction. I had a woman come in, a documentary filmmaker, just a month ago to do a film with me, brought her daughter in who's an adult therapist in her 20s up in Northern California. And she said to me, I cannot even respect my husband anymore because all he does is sit and watch CNN all day and tell me that I should wear a mask when I go outside. Oh I'm losing the love that I have for my husband. She's in her 60s. And I'm now questioning after 45 years whether the man I married is the man that's sitting in front of me. And her daughter nodded and said, the same thing is what I'm going through. I was just married one year ago, one year ago, and I don't know who the man is that's living in my home. He won't go outside. He's scared to death. I don't respect him. He has no courage. He's basically like a eunuch. So both sides, the hysterical wow. woman and the, the cowardly man are becoming new archetypes, not just in my practice, but all out in the world. And it is creating terrible intra-family conflict, husband and wife, parent and child. I'm sure it goes further than that. So these yeah. are just two examples, but I think they represent a lot of what uh, I and other uh, colleagues and, and friends and, and, and family members are seeing around our society. And I, I believe it's uh, very similar to what's happening in Canada. Mass delusional psychosis. <laughs> wow. Doug, go ahead. Okay. Uh, we've been joined by two more nurses now, Nicole Siratek and Kristen Nagel. Um, so we're just going through and uh, asking uh, everyone to, to give a little introduction for themselves and at what point you chose to go from the day-to-day, -day, I'm doing my job, this is what I get paid to do, to feeling like you really had to speak out and become an activist on this issue. So Nicole, why don't you co go first? You want to just tell the audience a little bit about your situation? Um, sure. So my name is Nicole Sorotek and many people know me from a globally viral video um, back in May 2020 of when I was in New York City helping to fight the COVID pandemic. I had been there since April. Um, they said that they needed nurses and I'm an IC nurse and a nurse for 10 years and I'm was just sitting at, at home and I'm like, hey, if I can go, let's go help some people. Mm -hmm. And I get there and it was very apparent that what the news was telling us was not what was going on. 
the patients were dying at an accelerated rate, but they weren't dying of COVID. They were dying from medical mismanagement, medical neglect, and outright just abuse. There were patients who ventilators, um, like ultimately murdered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, not even that. There were people who literally, like, they performed a procedure on them that killed them. They gave them the wrong medication and it killed them. They didn't feed them and it killed them. They didn't give them water and it killed them. I mean, it was it was absolutely deplorable, the care that I saw given to these patients in my own country. Because, you know, I've traveled the world and I have seen patient care in other areas. And I used to just think to myself, well, thank God we're in the United States because we, we are not like this at all. And it just blew my mind what had like what we were willing to tolerate. And every time you tried to say something about it, well, it's COVID, it's a pandemic, going to save everyone. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure when you give someone the wrong insulin, and it kills them, because it makes them go hypoglycemic, and we can't get their blood sugar up. Like, right, that is not the pandemic. That was a medication error. And so when I tried to get my first patient off the ventilator, because she was completely healthy, COVID was resolved, she came in because she had a fever, because remember, the news told you to go in when you had a fever. She completely walked in there, stood in line to get into the hospital and her door to intubation time was 15 minutes. Mind Hmm. you, she only had a fever, never had any indications of respiratory distress. I mean, her oxygen was like 99%. 98, 99. And so the ventilator, I got her like completely better. I prevented the residents from killing her um, because the residents was an optometrist. One was an optometrist and one was a dentist. And I was taking orders from an optometrist, a dentist and a podiatrist. And when I stopped listening to them and started telling them what they needed to do for the patient based off of like my clinical experience and they started to write those orders, that's why she pulled through. So Um, she had been the patient that lived the longest on that unit. At two weeks. Good on you for taking and, charge of that situation. And yeah. I, I definitely, Nicole, I want to come back to the, this yeah, stuff. Sure. This, is, this is going to get very interesting. We don't have a lot of time uh, left with Dr. Mark. And I know there's some of you that have to leave. Kristen, well, I've heard quite a bit about you through uh, Sarah. A uh, welcome. I'm, I'm really glad to see all of you finally after all the discussions with Sarah. Now that I get to see these faces. Kristen, come on, give it to us. What's yeah. up? <laughs> uh, yeah. I know. Where where to even begin with that? Um, yeah. So I've been a nurse for 14 years, primarily in um, neonatal intensive care units, so with babies and with a, a pediatric background as well. Uh, I went back to school about six years ago to become a holistic nutritionist. So I'm also a registered holistic nutritionist. And that's when kind of everything shifted for me was being able to kind of see what we were doing from the conventional side, but then also what was going on in the holistic world and all the things that we were kind of missing in, in nursing. So that was a huge eye opener for me. And it allowed me to kind of look at things a lot differently in the care that I was doing. Um, So I had been doing, I was able to start doing my own research about immunizations and all these other pharmaceuticals and yada, yada. So I've been kind of slowly speaking out um, quite a, quite a bit. Um, I've already kind of had trouble with the college two years ago for providing informed consent about um, immunizations um, because you're not allowed to do that. And uh, brings up to uh, 2020 um, because of the holistic background and understanding what a virus is and train theory and all these things, I knew always that it was propaganda being fueled to push an agenda. And so because I knew what the long-term scale looked like for us and my children, I have two young boys, I started speaking out 
louder and louder on social media and anywhere that I could, um, except at the workplace because no one, no one there wanted to hear it. So this was all outside of work. Um, I spoke at City Hall about masks on children and why, you know, that shouldn't happen. And um, surprising to me, there was a lot of backlash. I didn't realize how many people even back in September really wanted masks on their children. So that was when the first run of reports went into the college about me. Um, and then a, a friend and a, me and my friend decided that it was time to put action behind our words. We held, we held a freedom rally in our hometown and that led to my first media debut, whatever you want to call it, slander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. and uh yeah, yeah i so, remember that yeah congratulations yeah thank you um i guess you're kind of doing something right um but that led me to meeting all these amazing women that are on the call right now um sarah and i you know met up we joined forces and met um, these women in dc january 6th and then upon our return home after speaking on a health and freedom stage with all these amazing women about the concerns we were having about lockdowns and um, COVID and all the measures taking place and what was happening in the hospitals. Um, upon our return, we were then again, our next media debut was even um, heavier, more slander, more defamation. It was international and uh, led to RCMP coming to our house. And because we are now domestic terrorists, um, you know, for just wanting people to be healthy and, you know, and wanting our kids to play outside and, you know. Be yeah, free. it's like you guys, uh, <laughs> you know, you crimes against uh, humanity. Stop projecting, please. Yeah, guys, right. stop, I know. Stop projecting. Okay, so, Dr. Mark, come on now. You've you got to leave soon, so you you got to deliver the prognosis here for, <laughs> for all these people. Conviction, uh, passion, knowledge, uh, accuracy, the truth. Uh, are, are we all nuts? Right. <laughs> well, I've said for, for many months that when I leave my house now every morning, I have to remind myself that anybody that I see in the street wearing a mask uh, is very likely delusionally psychotic. And, <laughs> Why the pause there? Why the <laughs> some, some of them, some of them are just trying to keep their marriages intact. So they're just cowards. But, but many of them are actually delusionally psychotic. So any conversation I have, I have to start with that in mind. Uh, I don't generally talk to people that are wearing masks unless I have to, but if, if I am talking to them for some reason, I have to. Okay, but hang mind. on. I, I, I mean, everybody here, Mark, we're okay, right? We're well, that's my point is that <laughs> I question myself sometimes and I have to remind myself that when things go wrong and they go south out there in the world, that, uh, 99% of the time, it's not because I'm crazy in that moment. It's because the other person is. Uh, it didn't used to be that kind of ratio. There were times when I had sort of lost my mind. I feel so, empowered now. Finally, somebody <laughs> agrees with me that you guys are not nuts. I've heard right. it all. This is, why, this is why having kindred uh, kindred spirits around you is so important. Because if you don't surround yourself with people who are rational, and I'm not talking about people who agree with you. I'm just talking about people who are rational and who keep their own mind and wits about them and who think for themselves, as I, I like to frequently quote Thoreau, who said, think for yourself, because if you don't, someone else will think for you, and uh, he will not be thinking of you. If you right. keep people who are actually thinking for themselves, rational-minded people around you, then it's going to reinforce uh, and recalibrate you into uh, a very rational state of mind and a rational position. If you don't, and if you put up with and surround yourself with people who are really unbalanced emotionally, and mentally, 
you are going to suffer um, a great degree of stress, of disbelief, of questioning of your own sanity, and you might actually start to cave. Um, I, I haven't, but I've had right. moments where I've actually asked myself, am I really uh, thinking clearly or am I out to lunch? Because everyone in this room is completely on the opposite side of the fence, and that, that should give you pause. But right now- Gaslighting uh, will do that to you. Absolutely. So I'm just trying to you know, tell everyone and reassure them that uh, the best defense against this is to keep spending time either face to face or or as we're doing with other people who are thinking clearly, um, because if you don't, you can start to really question your own sanity. Right. I mean, that's what's fascinating about this conversation. And I feel like we've just heard what six, seven different stories, six different stories of essentially emotional abuse from, by the system onto these people, these nurses that are just trying to do a good job and have a, a different perspective, then maybe it's the mainstream narrative, but a rational perspective, and there should be conversations going on. Um, and so I guess uh, for you, Dr. McDonald, I mean, what uh, George and I in our Psychology of Lockdown series, you know, we kind of fall back on, there's almost this mass uh, post-traumatic stress going on in the entire culture when they're bombarded with fear from the mainstream media. And this is actually triggering this kind of psychological response to just follow what the authority figures say. And then shame or worse, uh, you know, fire or or humiliate or, you know, go after uh, the people that are questioning what the authority figures are saying. Is this your interpretation of what's going on? I mean, why is it that so many frontline workers are just following along, even though we're hearing these individual stories of nurses that clearly, right. You know, do, this is, do they know this better treatment already? protocol works. Yeah. And do yet they know we're better already straight. or are they just, are they just ignoring uh, what's happening. Right. Is there a problem? Well, as I said before, I think peer pressure is incredibly powerful, especially when it's people that are in your own field, people that you used to respect, people that you might have deferred to or you might have even asked their, their opinion of before and changed your opinions and your practices. And now they've all aligned against you. And they're all telling you that you're not only doing the wrong thing, you're actually a bad person. You're a bad right. medical professional. Right. So let's fly over to Alex here for just a quick moment because we got to get back to Nicole. I definitely want to get back to Catherine on the hydroxychloroquine. Alex, mm -hmm. you heard what Dr. McDonald said. If you were in charge of the medical services being delivered to children in our schools, what would be the first policy you would strike? that you know is injurious to our greatest natural resource. Go. Um, That's to Alex. Well, it would more, instead of striking something, it would just, it would just be reaffirming um, the fact that currently in many states, we have the ability to maintain a religious or a medical or a philosophical exemption um, for immunizations. And I think that that is, fourth and foremost needs to be maintained um, because, you know, the rights to medical choice or what we, you know, put into our bodies um, or our children's bodies, I, I definitely think does not need to be dictated by the state in order for them to participate in school um, or to participate in society. I think that. So you guys don't have informed consent now. So, sorry, but are you saying that the school system does not have informed consent right now? 
the way it works um so currently it's it's based upon the state that you live in um and our state has only two exemptions medical and religious um but currently we have proposed legislation we've been fighting the last two years um that would remove those rights to parents so it would remove exemptions entirely um, for the religious benefit um, which would mean that those children would not be allowed to go to school um, and it it what people aren't realizing is it's only it's really one percent of the population of our state con claims a religious exemption so this is a very minority group of children that is being targeted and parents are not even aware that whether or not your neighbor's child is vaccinated or not has nothing to do with your own child. Um, but instead, we're going to give up this ultimate right um, as parents to decide what we're going to inject our children with um, out of fear. And if we lose that right entirely, what's to say down the line that they don't add, you know, COVID vaccination required right. to the school schedule. We we required flu vaccination this year, which was a new vaccination. We need to maintain that right to choose um, without dictatorship from what the state says we need to oblige by. Because if we lose that right um, down the road, they could add whatever they wanted. Um, so I think that is first and foremost, that needs to be in place. Well, we're definitely drawing closer to an exciting day, including, uh, you know, uh, I mean, an exciting day to people here and in the U.S. is taking out the garbage. I have people that the highlight of their day right now is going to the grocery store. If they can get to the grocery store, they've had a good day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's where the fun is at right now. That is the fun marker. You know, don't go to the park. There's kids there. You, you, you could catch that thing. It'll follow you. This is clearly against normal standards of thinking. So, Alex, in the schools, Dr. Mark pointed out, you know, you're, you're a bad person. There's bad people. There's a lot of shaming going on in these schools. I hear you saying uh, that you want to reaffirm. Are you suggesting right now that in the schools that there, there is no policy occurring that you would not remove if you were the person in charge. I think she's frozen. <laughs> or is she? Um, I think there's a lot that oh, we should review. I mean, as school nurses here, as school nurses here in the U.S., we, we actually don't give immunizations at school. So my job as a school nurse is to have medical history of my students, which includes getting a physical report and an immunization record. Um, so I am simply following state rules. Um, basically what I'm told to do. I'm not imposing medical treatment on the children. Um, I'm collecting data. So whether it's a, you know, a student screening of their posture, if it's a hearing or vision screening, if it's an expert, which is our new drug and alcohol one-on-one -on -one interview that we have with every single child in the school um, for that grade, it's all just data collection that's going to the state. Um, currently, parents and children can opt out of those. So I, you know, they were in place probably because back in the day, maybe children weren't getting services that they may need. And I think that that's a healthy balance for some, you know, areas that may be um, lower income status or have less, you know, accessibility to a medical treatment. Um, so you need to take that out. Um, but what we're currently collecting data on 
on the kids and what's being reported to the state. Uh, because at the end of the day, my job as a school nurse is to keep the kids in school. So what to more focus on is the epidemics that I'm seeing as a school nurse with, you know, cases and chronic illness of the kids, whether it's, you know, neurological, whether it's behavioral, whether it's actual health conditions like diabetes or seizures, um, allergies, life-threatening allergies, asthma, we're seeing more chronic illness that is impacting these children on a day-to-day basis that's never going to leave them. So there are epidemics that we aren't discussing on the media that needs to be addressed um, more so than whether or not a child needs to get the COVID, you know, injection. Right. Yeah, I so, mean, how, go ahead, Doug. How frustrating it must be to see all of these healthcare problems that are actually the real problems and trying to help people. And then, but everything becomes about COVID, COVID, COVID. Um, I guess, Mark, we've got you here for another 15 minutes. And so I want to include you uh, at least here for uh, another few more minutes um, before you have to go. And I, I'm trying to get to the heart of, because a lot of these nurses uh, I mean, they're really getting attacked for having a, a rational point of view. I mean, even if it's not the point of view that, you know, that the majority is going to go along with or whatever, really all we're talking about here is healthcare freedom, the right of individuals to choose how they want to take care of themselves. But we're seeing this huge backlash where, you know, again, not just um, emotional abuse, but financial abuse where they're losing their jobs because they have a different opinion. And I'm just trying to understand um what is the psychology going on here that creates such a division? Like clearly the COVID lockdowns have created this high stress situation. And then you've got, you know, the few people who seem to be willing to go, well, I, I know it's a high stress situation, but I'm taking a few deep breaths. I can see that hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or some of these other treatment protocols work. I can see that straight to the ventilator is, is really hurting people. Uh, and yet others are doing what they're told. And later I want to talk about the hierarchical system of big pharma and the healthcare system, because I'm sure that's another frustrating uh, characteristic for all of you nurses. But, um, you know, the people that then want to follow the authority, they're so intent about it. Um, I, I saw a meme the other day about when somebody gets mad at you for wearing a mask, they're not mad at you because you're just not wearing a mask. I'll be back in just 30 seconds. Okay, sure. Uh, I was just saying they're they're mad at you because you're not obeying authority, and that's really what it's all about. Uh, maybe Sarah, you can talk about the the healthcare freedom and the medical uh, hierarchy aspect to this uh, while we wait for Dr. McDonald to come back. Oh, you're muted, Sarah. Oops. Great. So I'm I'm not sure which part you want me to tell you. Like, is it how the college of nurses is gagging us, and so? people can't uh, nurses can't speak or like we know now we've received actually um people do research for us you know and uh we've we've actually received um uh, a whole research and trail of how our college of nurses is connected to the world health organization and so it's very easy mm -hmm. to see that so now because it's, it was hard for us to understand well not very hard you know if you know how the system works but i mean like, how can the college of nurses not be looking for the best, uh, the public interest? You know what I mean? And how can they, how can they be silencing us? Well, it's because 
they're totally connected to the agenda. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think that's uh, the root of the problem is that just a few people at the top of the hierarchy dictate what everybody's doing all the way down the line. And because the nurses are kind of at the bottom of the pyramid in terms of that hierarchy in the in the hospital setting, I can only imagine how frustrating it is, you know, to see the actual results of, of some guy's decision at the World Health Organization and the negative impact it's having at the hospital, but not being able to change things. So while, while we have you here, 10 more minutes, Dr. McDonald. Can you just talk about the psychological aspects then? Why, again, under this high stress situation, does there end up being such a divide? I mean, so people are abusive to each other. I'm now seeing videos of people who don't wear a mask in a store all of a sudden, I mean, physically attacked by the people, you know, the cops come or or the workers at the stores are attacking people and physically dragging them out of the stores. It's getting outrageous. So what do you think is going on here? Well, my theory is the following. I've been speaking about this for about nine months, but I've evolved it into a second and third stages as they've, they meaning sort of our society has devolved into, into secondary and tertiary tiers of, of devolution. Uh, the first is the, uh, the heightened fear, which is really what's been driving uh, the crisis from the very beginning. We don't have a medical crisis. So we have a pandemic of fear. We've never had a medical crisis. We do have a medical crisis in the sequelae from the government response. We have suicides. We have um, uh, absent cancer screenings. Uh, people don't go, aren't, aren't going to the hospital uh, for ER evaluation uh, to get stent placements when they have uh, chest pain. Uh, and we have all of the uh, losses of uh, developmental time for children who are just being stuck you know, behind these screens and masks. That's a medical crisis, but very few people are talking about it a little bit more now. No, the problem has been fear. And Mm. since the fear uh, took over and it became um, really just burrowed in endemic as opposed to just uh, a passing scare, uh, like uh, a plane crash, it would be like a plane crash every single day for now 367 days. It moved into what I called and what you called out earlier, Doug, uh, the mass delusional psychosis, which is really more of a, a clinical mental illness. You know, if I had seen anybody on the street that's running around hiding behind um, uh, mailboxes and jumping uh, into the street when someone walks by without a mask on, over a year ago, uh, if that person had come to my practice, I would have said, you're actually psychotic, you have an illness and you need treatment. Now we say, good for you. You know, you're trying to save your life and the lives of everyone else. I saw a man today standing uh, in front of a gas uh, station, right in front of the uh, the pumps. And he had his mask on and he was pacing around looking at his phone. And I noticed that he had a lit cigarette in his hand. I would not have been surprised if when he puffed on the cigarette and he pulled his mask down to do the chin, the chin strap mask, if someone didn't run up to him and scream and yell, not because he had a lit cigarette, but because he had pulled his mask down. <laughs> I'm sure when the station goes up in flames, right. uh, his mask is going to save him. I thought I had seen everything and and that just went, you know, one level higher. That's an example of the mass delusional psychosis and an example um, of what I I call the third stage, which is the group control. The man that runs up to him and yells at him, not for holding a lit cigarette in front of a gas pump, but because he's pulled his mask down, is exercising what all of you are just talking about directly or indirectly in your profession, which is this group control over you to push you in the direction of following the line and towing it even if it's insane and it's inherently completely irrational. 
Right. Get into lockstep. Get into the lockstep. Getting into lockstep for the purpose of minimizing any kind of conflict, critical thinking, thinking for yourself, in order to make sure that there is no dissent from the line above. None. Zero. Anybody who disobeys that is no longer, in most cases, tackled by the police, although I see that happening in Canada a lot more than here in the U.S., but here in the U.S., not so much by the police. They're actually pulling away, and they have been for months, because they don't need to be in the forefront of enforcement. The neighbors are doing that, the colleagues, the boss, the patients, uh, the woman uh, in front of you in line in the grocery store. The, the 350 pound obese man standing behind you in the supermarket chastising you for not being healthy by not wearing your mask in line. When he is in the, the probably the 4% of the population that if he does catch this, he might die because he has so much com comorbidity, which is, which is primarily obesity. Um, this is insane, but it's, it's, it's so controlled by the group that it starts to become, um, a kind of sane, sane insanity, very, very similar to what's happening in communist China right now with the social point system and what happened in the Soviet Union 40, 50 years ago. It is eerily similar. And I have a lot of colleagues and friends who emigrated from mainland China or who have escaped from Hong Kong recently because it's now been taken over. And they are echoing this to me. They are saying this is exactly what's happening right now today in China, exactly the same thing. And we're moving in that direction with these apps on the phone, Pretty soon we're going to be pushed. We're going to have things pushed on us by uh, Facebook uh, to say, you know, a whole bunch of headlines just popped on your screen about how dangerous it is to take hydroxychloroquine and not wear your mask. You haven't liked those pages in the last four hours. Would you like to like them now? Press this button and we'll auto like all of them. And if not, we'll put you into a database and it's going to be sold to the hospital so they can find out whether they should fire you or not. I'm not exaggerating because this just was announced two days ago. Facebook revealed that they're going to allow their users to see what data their off Facebook screen grabs exactly. have found to collect where you are web surfing and what pages you've seen. This is not even within Facebook. This is outside of Facebook. Right. Data being seen on yeah, the, your computer by Facebook. The off activity. The and, off and, activity, and, correct. Off right. activity. That is part of the group control. That is one more aspect of it. And it's mounting and mounting and mounting. This is why we are where we are. It's not because of the government and the police. They started it. They lit the match. But the tinder and the gasoline that keeps pouring the fuel on the fire, it's coming from people at our level. It's coming from the people to the right and the left, not from the people on top. Uh -huh. Incredible point. And it leads me to this. Now, Nicole Sirotech, uh, I believe, was one of the first nurses to, for lack of a better term, blow the whistle on... I, 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 I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. They are murdering our senior citizens. There are people who are being killed. There's no ambivalence about that. It's no longer controversial. We have many of our politicians who are now admitting it. There are all kinds of stories around the awareness that, that people have regarding the mismanagement, as Nicole refers to it, of medical care. Now, who today would want a nurse, a medical practitioner, a pediatrician, what have you, who would want that person working on their wellness or ill health, knowing that these people have participated in actions that could have contributed to the death of a human being? 
Are we experiencing any of that at all where people are like, you were that person who, you know, were, were, played a role in the death of a few of these people. Are our citizens even aware that these individuals are doing this? Do we have any repercussions for them being brought forward in any capacity? This is what's so amazing about all of our guests today. I mean, the stories that we've heard, it requires incredible strength, perseverance, uh, emotional abuse, and ultimately financial abuse when you get, when you're getting fired uh, for pointing out that the treatment protocols aren't working, pointing out that there are other treatment protocols that, that do work and, um, you know, and having to actually endure on the job watching people going straight to the ventilator with a 70% chance of dying rather than doctors even being able or willing to try some of these alternative treatment methods that have worked over and over again in other hospital settings. Uh, I just can't believe it. And I'm trying well, to get to the heart of like, well, they're stopping, happening? they're stopping the nurses from performing their duties. Right. Nicole, Nicole, tell us again, please. What, what have you experienced firsthandedly that says we know that they're not just mismanaging, but they're going to kill these people through the administration of their medical processes? Tell us exactly um, what you have noticed. Well, it, they're, they were so addicted to the dogma from like the authorities, like the mm -hmm. CDC, the FDA like that we knew that patients could take ibuprofen in the beginning and it was safe and we told them this and we knew that the corticosteroids were safe for the patients and it was working and they still wouldn't let us give it ignored. it was ignored we told them that they were throwing blood clots we need to get on some type of like clotting prophylaxis not just compression devices for the legs like Lovenox, Coumadin, something. They're throwing clots. This is bizarre. Everyone's having strokes. Everyone's heart attacks. That's not a respiratory disorder. And so I automatically like started telling the doctors, hey, we need to put them on DVD prophylaxis. There's no more sequential compression devices. We need to give Lovenox. We have Lovenox. Let's give it. Um, and I'm like, and we won't get reimbursed if they get a DVT. And that's how I got them to give the Lovenox and all my patients like had a higher survival rate than any other patients because we threw medicine out the window. When you come in, we automatically are concerned with blood clots. We didn't care because it was COVID, 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 COVID. And come to find out COVID causes blood clots. And so, so COVID how many came of to town. Yeah, Nothing COVID else came to town and there's, there's, no, there's no other diseases. Please excuse right. me for just no. a second, Nicole. Mark, you've got to go. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark McDonald has been our psychiatrist, a legal medical expert. Uh, from the United States, I believe, in L.A. Mark, where can they find you? You're muted. I know. I'm looking for the little button that keeps moving. Around. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I it. Tell it to stop I moving. I don't want to talk and then just have my mouth move and no one can hear me, so I'm doing this with my eyes. <laughs> well, what I, what I generally do when I find something uh, of value that I can corroborate and comes from a, a trusted source is I post it on my Facebook page, which is open, and it's called Mark McDonald, MD. Uh, some people have said that they often can't find it or it, it comes in and out. I think Facebook sometimes shuts it down on the search engine. I, I can't figure out exactly when or how, but um, Mark McDonald, MD, 
on Facebook search can find my page. You can also get to it by just going to my website, which is markmcdonaldmd.com. Outstanding. Thanks a million for Great. joining us once again yep. on Behind the Line, okay. the Facts and the Fiction. We'll be in touch shortly with you, Mark. Thanks a million. Have Thank a great day. Okay, right. so so I, I just want to finish with with Nicole. I noticed mm-hmm. that it was just on the on the minute mark there, Doug. Nicole, go ahead. You were talking about we were uh, COVID came to town and nothing else existed. So they've been caught up in this narrative and. Yeah, nothing else existed. We didn't take care of diabetics that had diabetes. We didn't take care of patients with atrial fibrillation, which they need to be on their Coumadin or the Eliquis. We didn't take care of people who were going through drug or alcohol withdrawals. It was COVID, COVID, COVID. You came in with COVID, no other diagnosis existed at Hmm. all, period. I mean, we have people in CHF, congestive heart failure, and we did nothing to manage the congestive heart failure and all the medications, the fluids we gave them killed them because it was COVID, COVID, COVID. I had a patient that she was having, she was struggling to breathe. And we told her, I know that you're struggling to breathe and this is very scary, but I need you to fight for it because if they put you on that ventilator, you're not going to come off of it. And so she uh, coughed and her sats dropped down to the seventies. We're all standing there like praying praying like please get back up breathe harder if you have to whatever you need to do we're in there encouraging her and the resident comes by and he's like oh we need to intubate her and the other resident's like no she's fighting right now let's 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 wait and he was he was just going to intubate her and i'm like right. let intubation is the last thing she's maintaining she's slowly coming up let's fight for this because we all knew as soon as they got on those ventilators, they weren't coming off. I mean, in the ER at the hospitals I were at, I was at, they were intubating the patients because they didn't know how to put the ventilator in BiPAP mode, which is the mask strapped to your face, external ventilation, right. because they were worried about catching COVID themselves. So they would rather intubate them, which created the ventilator shortage because they were intubating the patients because it was a closed circuit because the healthcare professionals were afraid of catching COVID. So if they're on a ventilator, it's not aerosolizing out into the air, so they would be protected. That created your ventilator shortage, okay? And then it created your staff shortage because now you've got all these people on ventilators and nobody knows how to manage a ventilator. You've got one person managing 20 ventilators. They created the problem. And then they started dying and then everything started falling apart. And then they brought the wrong nurses and the wrong doctors. I mean, you got to ask yourself, what is an OB nurse doing in an ICU? What is the, no, no offense to like Alex and Kristen, like what is the, what is the school nurse doing in the ICU? Like you, you don't put me in a, in a, in a NICU. I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm trained like with neonatal resuscitation, but that is the extent of my knowledge. Would you, if your baby was coding in the NICU, do you want me nurse or do you want Kristen, the NICU nurse? And people just thought a nurse is a nurse and a doctor is a doctor. And they didn't think that maybe you shouldn't send nursing students and medical students in to work as full-fledged nurses Uh, and doctors. I I, I don't know about you, Doug. I just learned something there. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just got my little hobby. Yeah. Like you don't go have your brain surgeon, go put your leg back off, like put your leg back on when it gets cut off. Okay. I mean, there is a difference. We are specialized (laughs) as nurses. I mean, we don't, we don't just get bed baths and pass pills. Okay. Or Nicole uh, or construction worker. Oh my God. I found out that one of them was a construction worker. He wasn't even a nurse. He was posing as a nurse for two weeks. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And then I was there for, it took me yeah, he was a construction worker because they were bringing on nurses so fast they weren't validating the yeah, licenses. Yeah, I mean, just 
no nursing license at all. I had to have the police like go mm. after him. I literally, I talked to the staffing agency. I talked to admin two days and all his patients kept dying and dying and dying. And I, you know, and I found, I found him on what? Facebook. I'm like, dude, this guy's a construction worker. And, you know, and in the United States, we have nursey, N-U-R-S-Y.com. It will look up any nursing license in the, in the United States and tell you what state that's working. He did not. Oh, there's work a, there's a, a few choice words there for that guy. Aren't I mean, wow. <laughs> he is a murderer. Best. Yeah. Because they were paying $10,000 a week. And, and so oh, finally wow. when admin would not do anything, I went and got like the actual police, our security in the hospitals was NYPD. And I'm like, this is what's going on. And mind you, I have ventilated patients on the floor that are not supervised because now I have to go find police to get this guy murdering his patients. And right. he was a construction worker and they went to go talk to him and he ran. He simply ran. And I have no idea whatever became of the situation. He abandoned people. I mean, amazing. It's ridiculous. Amazing. I, I, let, let's just go over to Catherine. Catherine, you just posted something that said about talk about the doctors walking in the room. Well, th that fits somewhere in the leg of what Nicole was just sharing with <laughs> yeah. us. What did you oh, want to yeah, say? Yeah. I, I actually, um, after I was in doing my Midwest um, contract, I was let go and I was off work um, for quite some time. So I, I, um, our County hospital local here was trying to recruit more nurses because they were waiting for the surge that never happened. Um, but I did train there. And uh, what I saw was the physicians refusing to enter the rooms of the COVID patients. So they would do their assessment over the phone outside the room. So, so they refused to go in to listen to breath sounds, to speak to the patients, to even reassure the patients. They, they literally were so afraid they were treating the patients from outside the rooms. Cause wow. they believed, they believed what by going into the room, they believed it was so contagious, um, you know, that they could die just from entering the rooms. I mean, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. So the, the very people, that were the rooms, wow. So the very people who are, we're relying upon with the knowledge to take care of us and treat us are so delusionally afraid. They can't even do their jobs in the service of saving the lives of those yeah. they are paid to save. Yeah. You can't prescribe a treatment plan. If you're not going to do a full assessment on with your hands on the patient. We, 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 we all were they need to find a new, sorry, Doug, we all well, need to find a new planet. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, no. you're describing the complete breakdown of the system. Were, were they making the nurses go in? I mean, obviously oh, yeah. somebody had to go in there, but the <laughs> doctors wouldn't go in. That is just unbelievable to hear these yep. stories, you guys. I hope you guys Same. are hearing what we're hearing, folks. Okay, Same thing in nursing homes. Same thing mm -hmm. in nursing homes. There's no doctors coming in. Everything, all the wound care, everything is by iPad. You're taking pictures. So the vulnerable people that were closing everything down don't get doctors. Right. You got to follow Jessica to Tanzania. That's yeah. That's <laughs> probably what we need to do. Honestly, I don't know what's going to come out of all this, but Tanzania is looking like a good place to live right about now. I saw the pictures. Congratulations to you, by the way. You are an incredible individual. Yeah. I saw the work you did down there with the kids. Yeah. I admire you to no end. Uh, well, well to the end of the flat earth. 
all of us, all of us here, you know, we're coming from a place of we care and we're trying to protect people. So it's just the irony of it, like the College of Nurses in Ontario, they're claiming to protect people, but they're the ones who are doing the very harm, like by only telling the one side of the story. So it's just, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm going insane just even being back here, like going from normal living to this insanity. Mm -hmm. Like I almost, I forgot how crazy it's become here. And yeah, it, it's definitely, t it takes a toll on you. And this is like a long battle to fight. So you gotta, you gotta um, not self abandon and take care of yourself and, persevere yeah it's very tragic that some people don't know how to do that and no. the hey. people they need to lean on have left the room yeah and uh, i just don't know why no one else is listening or like why aren't we holding like the broadcasting like don't aren't they accountable to someone like what the mainstream is perpetuating that narrative right. because uh, I think that's a big part of the problem. And that's why so many people are brainwashed. So, yeah, exactly. This is the brainwashing time. Kristen, come on, man. You know what to say about all this. What do you think? What are you thinking? I mean, you know, George, should we let Alex go? I know Alex needs to leave. Maybe we should just give her a few minutes to say, uh, do, yeah, do you have any anything sure. to conclude with here, Alex, before you take off? I know I got cut off earlier. Apologies on that. Um, so my slogan is just always nourish the child, not the agenda. Um, so when nice. you were asking what would I what would I take, you know, out of schools right now? Um, I, I physically took my son out of school. So I'm I'm homeschooling now at this point. I don't agree with what's happening nice. um, in the school systems, what's being, you know, put on them from the state, what's being required of the nurses or the children. Um, so that totally crossed my mind of like, what would I take out? I mean, I, I don't agree with masking children, um, especially in preschool when my son is three. Um, there was a study that actually came out or a review from what, what happened in Sweden where they, they didn't impose the lockdowns or they were allowing their children to go back to school. And it actually found, I believe, mm -hmm. that teachers were at a less a decreased um, risk of getting COVID when compared to other professions, because there's actually been information found where children are kind of a buffer. You know, there, there's not a lot of transmission happening in the schools um, and being around children and exposed to things may provide some, some kind of health benefit. Um, so I, I don't agree with the masking. I definitely don't agree with testing children in school for COVID. Um, we've started pool testing, I know, here in our state. Um, and this is all just to try and get the children back to school. So I, I think the kids need to be in school. Um, they need to be able to see people's faces. They need to feel safe and secure with their caregivers, not hiding you know, behind a mask, trying to teach a lesson. Um, and I think they need to, you know, be able to be kids and not have this pressure or anxiety of having a medical test done to them at school, um, only to then wait and see whether or not they, you know, are COVID carriers and need to be sent home. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of, I'm not kind of giving my ideas anymore, but what to do in the system. 
I'm just, I'm going to make my own and we're going to move away from what's happening um, and build a community of people who are ready to stand up um, for yeah. their children and themselves. Oh, I love it. So thank I you everyone. It. Me too. I, and we, we want to <laughs> Thanks, help Alex. You do that. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks. Amazing. And, wow. and Jessica, it looks like you, you have to go as well. Do you yeah, want to uh, say some final words and, and I don't know, you know, um, let people know. You know, I always say it's not our job to convince people what to do for their, you know, their lives. Um, but I do encourage people to just research the information. Like there's so much peer reviewed literature out there. Um, and, you know, when something is affecting your health personally, like you, you should be accountable enough to research what's going on and not just follow kind of what the mainstream is saying. So, and also just to the nurses out there who know like this isn't right and who are scared to come out. I know it's scary, but that I just feel like the truth is going to prevail. We are doing way more harm than good. And I hope they gain the courage and confidence to stand there in their truth and to speak up because we need more people to do that. So that's, yeah, that's it. Amazing. Amazing. We yeah, really thanks, respect Jessica. Your thanks for what you're yeah. doing too. Yeah. yeah. What, what you did in that airport was fabulous. We admire yeah. you keep standing up. You don't don't <laughs> stop doing what you're doing. Uh, I, I screenshotted yeah. my uh, charter of rights and I, I was reading them, but they wanted me out so quickly because I was doing that. So it's just, yeah, it's the weird world we are living in. But congratulations yeah, on everything you're doing. Continue on and know that the line is behind you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And I hope you found a, a group of nurses here that can help have your back too. I mean, that seems like such yeah. a big part of what's going on here is making people feel comfortable to speak out. Exactly. And that I'm not alone. Like I'm not insane. So right. unless we're all insane, but Dr. <laughs> not. So we're good. Good to go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. See you guys. Thanks again. Take care. All the best. Thanks. Wow. There we go. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. So, you know, this is fascinating. You guys are still going on this. Where are we today? What are you guys all up to today? What's happening? I know that the global front line, I know that Sarah and Kristen, you guys have joined forces. You guys are partners in this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, is Nicole or Catherine playing a role uh, nationally or internationally? uh in this uh mission of the global frontline yeah so actually um, it started with the global frontline nurses oh sorry nicole um when when we all kind of had our media debuts by um nicole and um aaron from nyc were kind of the first so when um sarah and i were getting some traction we kind of emailed them and found them and and created um they helped create the global frontline nurses and then off of that, um, Sarah and I stayed together to have a chapter of that in Canada. So we do the Canadian frontline nurses off of the global. So there's been a, cool. a bit of the blurring of the lines, I would, I would suggest, uh, between uh, uh, the Canadians and our, our fellow uh, cousins in the States 
uh, the nurses there. There is a, there's a, a, some kind of a partnership going on where, you know, yeah, we're two different countries, but we're doing the same stuff. We have the same responsibilities, the same values mm-hmm. to protect and uphold. Is that, is that a fair statement? Why this global nurses would be a wonderful idea is a wonderful idea for people to pay attention to because you're bringing messages to people that are important in 80 languages, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're seeing is not neat. Isn't unique to just one country. That's why it's the global frontline nurses. And there are each country has its own chapter that they want to get up and running, just like we have the Canadian frontline nurses. Um, but they're just very scared to speak out. But we have an army behind us that's willing to to push back on these draconian like measures that are actually harming our patient. Because here's oh, the yeah. thing: we don't get paid based off patient outcomes. My paycheck is the same, whether you live or die, whether you're harmed, whether you get better, it's the same. If I am here and I am beating against the cage and I'm saying, this is going to make you worse, this is going to hurt you, but my paycheck is independent of that, why, I mean, I could just let you die. My paycheck will be the same. It'll be easier for me, like, not to fight back. Well, that's an amazing point. Everyone else is just laying down. There's no paycheck slavery here, is there? Except for the people no. that are afraid to speak out, I would assume. Right. Yes, the people many that are of them afraid are choosing their jobs. Well, yes. that's what you know. As we're, we're kind of trying to wrap this up, and if we can keep you guys for just a few more minutes, because I want to try to understand like how this could possibly happen. This complete, not only a breakdown of the system. I mean, it sounds like, and I, from the information I've gotten, I mean, tens of thousands of of needless deaths. Um, because of just a complete um, mishandling of this whole COVID situation, especially back in in that March-April period uh, where a lot of your stories are coming from. I mean, what what is going on in your opinion? I I guess I'll frame it like this because, uh, you know, I've come to this conclusion that the whole thing is about healthcare freedom. And I think I should be allowed to choose the doctor and the treatment protocol that I want. And I remember over the summer, I was doing my research into hydroxychloroquine, you know, May and June and July, and I'm on social media and I'm arguing, well, no, I think this is an actual treatment. Here's the primary sources that I'm looking at. Here's the doctors that I'm listening to. And people are going, no, you know, this is just, most of it was, you know, Trump said this. And so it it can't be true. (laughs) And, uh, And I just finally, I got to a place where I was like, why am I arguing about this? Like, how is it that we live in a society where our healthcare choices seem to be this collective decision that we, you know, that the politicians make for us. And it's not a choice between me and my doctor, right. Or me and my nurse or whoever it is that I want to go to, to help me with my healthcare issues. It's just, so films do you have uh do you think that's the right angle is that part of the problem um or the, the is it the hierarchy of the system is it the pharmaceutical corporations or the insurance corporations because i've heard you know the insurance corporations only pay for certain reimbursements and so all the doctors got to fall in line and right. use these treatment protocols because we won't get paid you know like what what's going on that you think is the root of the problem and then what would the solutions be um sarah do you want to talk to this first maybe it has better for this answer (laughs) yeah got it okay all right Kristen, go for it then 
<laughs> uh, yeah, well, unfortunately, this system, which people don't realize, is the system has been built on oil money for over 100 years. Like we've been built on a fraudulent system. And this goes back to the early 1900s when the Rockefellers, you know, teamed up with Louis Pasteur when he was, you know, um, making fraud with his like tests of the germ theory and pushing this and the Rockefellers were like great like our oil we are the first billionaires in the world we have all this leftover petroleum this petroleum can kill these bacteria let's push this so they um you know teamed up they created the medical institution you know the Rockefeller John Hopkins Harvard all these places and they said right. anyone else that practices medicine outside of these institutions is deemed as quackery. So the term quackery was actually put in place back in the early 1900s to kind of start this movement of silencing real health and all this ancient wisdom that we have known for centuries about our bodies. All of a sudden, they thought they knew better than what was happening that kept us alive for like how many centuries long. And then they're like, oh, we're going to just change everything. So they started with that. They pushed out all natural health and healing and ancient wisdom and started um, the medical institutions based on petrochemicals. And that's what they've been pushing out. And then throughout the last decades, decades, as technology has increased, you can see the changing in, in language. You can see the propaganda. And Catherine is amazing to talk about uh, the propaganda and the messaging and how it's changed but it's been getting more intense more intense more intense like if you go back to the 50s 60s they even talked then about how certain immunizations were actually harmful and things were bad and there was aluminum and they talked about this and then you can see the shift coming into the 80s where you could no longer talk about that stuff anymore when more uh, the bigger companies were buying out the media were buying out the papers and big pharma it, exactly and it is controlled by big pharma that is like the petrochemicals that is the system and that's why they've been indoctrinating us with all the textbooks that are taught in medical school and nursing are all funded by pharma and that's why there's no discussion of um plants food like nutrition exercise right. mindset all the stuff that actually is preventative care there's no uh instruction on preventative care it's all okay what's the illness let's diagnose how do you treat the symptoms that's all that's all it is um and then you get brainwashed into thinking anything outside of that is wrong right they already told you it was quackery and it's wrong so you don't even think to look outside of that so we're on a hundred years of a of a fraudulent system based on a false theory that actually has never been proven. And so that is going to take a lot of time to, uh, to change. So where I'm at is, is like, it takes a lot of energy to push back the system and fight, you know, with negative energy to, to fight. We're on this mission to mm -hmm. create and to bring people with us and to continue to educate and continue to power, especially on a grassroots movement, because like, um, uh, Dr. McDonald said, like, it's the people around us. We have to teach everyone that is like to the right, to the left, you know, around us um, about these things that they were never made aware of because it was taking out from all our knowledge. Right, right. And, and then Catherine, do you want to speak to the propaganda then? I mean, because clearly it's so effective. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody really should, should take some time and really learn how the propaganda works because um, there are certain tricks and triggers they use in the news that um, trick your subconscious into believing that these things are real and that there's authority. So much so that, you know, 
when I was um, 10 years ago, when my son was really, really sick from, from an injury, I totally, I, I knew there was nothing for him in the medical system. And I totally panicked because I literally thought there was nothing else, right? I had no idea you could go to a nutritionist. I had no idea about acupuncture. I didn't know you could take your child to a chiropractor. Do you know what I mean? And, and the, um, what they do is they, you know, it's, it's very obvious, but you can start to see the patterns. They're visual. So anything, um, you know, if you look at new sets, they're all in red and blue usually. And those trigger your brain to, um, to believe it as truth and be authority. In movie stars, you know, when they start using the movie stars to um, push agendas, um, and then, you know, after the visual cues, you start to break down, break down the language, because even when you look at, um, you know, terminology that Western medicine uses, such as autoimmunity, when your, your subconscious hears that you are, you break down the word and you think, you know, that your body is attacking yourself. And then that leads to the belief that your body is bad and, and not on your side, Right. And, and then when you start to really research, you know, like um, Kristen got her degree in holistic nutrition, and I know Sarah's um, healed herself with food. When you start to do that type of research, you realize that your body's not attacking itself. It's attacking the toxins that are in your body. You're so there's with all that. these really subtle lies that we're, we're told as truths, and we have to start seeing the patterns in the language, the patterns um, in the visual propaganda that we're being told. And we have to start, um, to, to see through that and, and, and just call it out for the, the gaslighting that it is. It, this is NLP. This is like neuro linguistic programming right? oh, yeah. we're dealing with. The yes. repetition breeds retention. Over and over, these are some of them are thought terminating cliches. People don't even know what to think. They right. hear it. Even it if you're aware impact. of it, it still does it. Even if you're aware yeah. of it, it still programs you. It's yeah. right. There's a certain it, amount of resistance required there on the person to really stop and decipher the information. Like really deliberately get yourself to stop and listen to what you just heard repeat it and really analyze it to the extent that you have to ask yourself, is this right for me? And people are not doing that. They're taking yeah. at face value what they hear. They internalize it. Then they take it on as their own. We're seeing a lot of sleepwalkers, the somnambulists doing this where they are repeating phrases they've heard from other people. It's a hand me down. It's like this emotional contagion Please. going on. It's such a red flag to me throughout this whole process. If this was such a serious pandemic, then don't you think they could tell people, you know, take some zinc, take some vitamin D, a few, a few things. I mean, this whole like straight to the ventilator, it's a red flag, people. You've got to pay attention. Like what disease ever in the history of diseases has it been straight to the ventilator and without any kind of like initial treatment like uh, one of you was talking about ibuprofen like take some ibuprofen when you feel you know start to get a fever that's where you start <laughs> you know you don't, don't go straight to the ventilator to not take anything they told them not to take yeah. anything there is yeah, no early intervention and what i dies. tell people yeah if you take ibuprofen you'll die 
And that we find out that that is not the, the case. <laughs> My little Hispanic lady would be alive today if she didn't listen to the news and never went in for a fever and took the ibuprofen like she should have. Okay, she is dead because right. of the mainstream media, because she listened to them. Exactly. I mean, ask, like, ask your physician, ask the doctors, what early interventions can I take if I end up with COVID? They will tell you, uh, maybe I can give you some steroids, but does that stop viral replication? No, there's either you get the jab, you wear a mask, the only prevention is a mask and distancing and a jab. Or you go die in a, on a ventilator. Those are your two options. And what about ivermectin? What about hydroxychloroquine? There are multiple drugs that can be repurposed. I mean, ivermectin, the founders of it won a, a Nobel Prize, okay, for right. for discovering it. It's the number one most important medication on the WHO list. And yet, yet it's been demonized. It's been demonized, even though we know how it works in pregnant and lactating women. We know how it works in pediatrics because it's been around since the 60s. And it has an excellent allergy and adverse reaction profile. I mean, the worst of the adverse reactions is when it's with, uh, you know, the river blindness. And they're telling you we can't prescribe that because it's not FDA approved for COVID. I'm like, well, neither is your jab. And people are dying from that. So let's get yeah. the ivermectin on board. And so my patients who listen to me and we can get them the appropriate early interventions, they all live. And we started a grassroots movement down along the border of Texas and Mexico because um, there was a high um, medical experimentation and death rate along the border with the um, undocumented immigrants. And 2,100 people never needed hospitalization. And apparently um, only like undocumented immigrants survived COVID, living in camps, migrant camps, only those people, the high risk people, that had the poor sanitation and the, the contaminated water and no food and living in tents. Those people survived COVID, but the people in middle-class white America could not survive COVID and ended up on ventilators. So tell me how I, like I and the physicians that I worked with were wrong when our patients lived. Right. Wow. How is it that our patients lived a hundred percent of them lived and a hundred percent of these people over here died. It's not COVID, it's the healthcare system you're in. Exactly, and that's become clear. That's no longer, like, before people were like, oh yeah, you guys are a bunch of conspiracy theorists. <laughs> you guys are just making it up. Like, really, th there's a lot to be gained from going around and speaking these kinds of truths. Like, they're going to be knocking at your door to hire you right now based on the mindset of the medical world. So tell us something. What is the downside that you guys have experienced for being so honest to the American and Canadian public? What is the downside that you guys have experienced over the past few months from being as brave as you are, as being forthcoming, and to tell people the truth in matters? Who wants to answer I, that first? I, what I is going on? Yeah. Well, the downside is we lost our jobs and maybe or probably our <laughs> career. And so, right. you know, that's the downside. Um, I mean that a lot of people wouldn't like, but I mean, I don't even see it as a downside anymore. Um, you know, it's been two, three years. I mean, since I had fibromyalgia and I was able to, uh, uh, you know, I saw that the medical industry had no idea what they were doing and they just wanted to give me these band-aid <laughs> pills that were absolutely bad for me. And then I healed myself. I mean, it just shows you that, you know, 
um hey i forgot the question again <laughs> downside what was I oh yeah and so i, I don't even i don't even what see we did. it as a downside i don't even see it as a downside anymore because i mean to me i was trying to get out because i was like I'm giving these people these drugs. They're not eating well. They don't have, like, it wasn't a good thing for me. And I always, I was trying to get, get like, build lighting up dark corners because I found a way to heal my mental disorder on my own without pills. And I wanted to help other people do the same. So mm -hmm. what happened is that now that I'm fired, I have the opportunity to actually do what I wanted to do which was being stopped because I was like, well, you know, I'm a single mom. What if I don't have enough money? What if it doesn't work? They did that for me. So now here we are. We're going to build. You got nothing better. left to worry and about. So, You've already been through the yeah, worst of it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing left to lose. Right. <laughs> Catherine, anybody attacking you? No. Sending you, you know, no, no, Catherine, anybody attacking you? I'm sending actually you messages? excited. I mean, we, we get. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I can I tell. Get to build, we get to build the, you know, the the health industry that we all love and that we all want. Please don't lose that excitement for for crying out loud, because you got <laughs> You're coming back. We're bringing every one of you back here to behind the line, the facts and the fiction. Because you seem to know both sides, the facts and the I fiction. Didn't hear, Catherine, you were talking to me, Catherine, I didn't hear that. You're... Yeah, I'm here. I'm talking to everybody. Uh, Catherine, so tell me something. Have you had any bad experiences with people? Attacking your viewpoint, you're crazy. You're from outer space. You're an alien. What's going on? Any anybody disagreeing with your logic? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, you know I've lost a lot of friends and family because of it. Because um, I just got to a point where it wasn't healthy for me anymore to stay silent, and I had to I had to be true to myself. I have to worry about my health, my mental health, my physical health. And when, when you're living a lie, there's no way to be healthy. Yeah. Um, so I stand firm and stand firm my truth. And now I have, you know, it's funny cause I had, um, I, I didn't wear my mask at the grocery store. Uh, I mean, I never wear it at the grocery store, but I, I had a couple of people, um, every, this time is people are getting a little bit more relaxed people come up to you and they're like, how, how are you getting away from that? How are you not doing it? Like, and then they, um, they, they get the courage to do that themselves. And, uh, I had, you know, last time I was at the grocery store, I had somebody text me afterwards. Like I saw you, you weren't wearing your mask. You're so inspirational <laughs> and it's, it's comical, but it's, um, you know, I think it's, it's starting, the tide's starting to turn. And I think people really, really, um, appreciate when you are able to be yourself and and speak truth. So I would encourage anybody not to be afraid. Amazing, Nicole. You had to get a black belt in karate or anything lately, <laughs> right? Well, um, so for me, because I guess I was the original person that everyone is like that came forward that kind of created the ripple effect. Um, it was pretty, pretty severe what happened. Sorry, I just like got home. And I mean, it was actually pretty scary for me and my family. I had never, ever seen anything like this before because wow. I was always used to being taken for my word and my integrity. I mean, I have years and years of like performance reviews that says that I was a patient advocate you know, I would stand up for patients, like I wouldn't back down, things like that. Like, I mean, the doctors like were annoyed 
by me. But you know what? When their family right. member was in the hospital, they reassigned all the nurses. So I would be that nurse for their patient, for their family member. So I mean, it, like they knew the quality of nurse that I was. And to get the complete backlog, like, like complete just retaliation that I got. I mean, my home was broken into multiple times. Uh, wow, my wow. tires were slashed. My car windows, I'm surprised, were still intact. I couldn't go anywhere without being like shamed by like the nurses and things like that. I was called a crisis actor. Uh, they said I wasn't really a nurse. Um, I was a horrible nurse to begin with. I had doctors who claimed I was difficult to work with that I had never actually worked with. Nurses who said I was a horrible nurse and I, and I was incompetent that I had never worked with. I don't even know who half these people were. And just as backlash. And then you get all these conspiracy theory people coming after you. Like they broke into my house. I don't know what they were looking for. Like they thought I was a crisis actor that was paid for by the Democrats. And I'm like, that shows you how much right there that people do not know about their healthcare. Yep. That our licenses are public knowledge. Doctors, medical assistants, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, nurses, any individual can look those up online. It's public knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm on the state board of nursing. I'm involved with the Nevada nurses legislation and all of these things. I mean, I was in a doctorate program for my, like for nursing and none of it made any difference. I was a quack. I was a liar. I was attention seeking. And all I wanted to do wow. was my job. And that was to save lives. I mean, we had to move homes. Like literally we had to buy a different house. So nobody knew where we lived because the old house kept getting broken into. <laughs> and it was like, and when you have small children, that's a huge concern. I mean, if it's just me, I could probably handle anything that came my way, but what about my children? And you get blacklisted from employment. I mean, fortunate enough, I'm still able to work with my home health agency because they stood by me through the thick of it all, knowing the quality of the nurse that I am. In fact, they get referrals because of me. Amazing. <laughs> They're well, like, yeah. that's the COVID I, nurse. <laughs> I, I found myself even, you know, now thinking if I have to go to the hospital, the first question I'm asking is, do you believe in COVID? <laughs> yeah. Right. The moment they say yes, I'm gone. <laughs> you ain't touching me. We're, we're I'm going to you guys. They're just going to yeah. follow the party line. They'll put their job before, before they'll put the patient. And that's not right. how it goes. I mean, first of all, our job should not be up and our licenses should not be up for Hawk just because we're protecting the patient. First of all, absolutely. And but I'm fighting the number line. one, do no yeah. harm. Do no harm. Yeah. Do no harm. That's a Hippocratic oath. You got that folks do no harm. And the line is actually, taking on these legal cases with our nurses in the country. I would love to do it all over the world, but we can't. But yeah. any of you who are experiencing a backlash, you're being shamed, ridiculed, humiliated, judged, contempted against, ganged up upon. If you have any issues at work and they're threatening you with your job, you make sure to catch us at thelioncanada.com. Send us your story and we will make sure that you are properly protected under the labor laws and the human rights code in Canada, or at least in so far as Ontario goes, but we have lawyers all over the place and we are not standing back. We will defend you. Do not be scared to speak out. We know you, you have been afraid and you've been afraid for a long time, but now people are starting to realize it is important that we speak out about these experiences or we're not going to see the improved healthcare that human beings in all countries deserve. We're doing our part in this country. 
Kristen, listen, so take us away. What, what, what have you experienced? I mean, you, you were very outspoken. We know that. And I love that you are, and I love that all of you are, and I think you're truly brave and you deserve the largest round of applause for everything you've been doing. Kristen, what are they doing to you? Anything? Oh, you can lay them out? Yeah, not anymore. It's, it's <laughs> interesting, right, how like the, the trolls and the negativity just love to hop on the bandwagon. So sure. it was just like really intense at the beginning, and then it's like, well, where are they now? They're gone. But I did... um. Like at the at the beginning, my first kind of like media slander back in November um, was really hard. It was it was really difficult. It was new to me. I just wasn't expecting that amount of hate um, to come at me because people that know me know that I love my community. I'm all about you know I I create and organize events. I like you know do uh, charity events to raise money for women's shelters. Like we're all about the kids here. We organize all these programs and. I've been very involved in the community here and it was very heartbreaking to see the same people turn on me. For example, um, we sold our house in the fall from that. I was able to donate a bit of money to this uh, um, project that was happening in, in our hometown because they were creating um, a massive community garden like right in the city. And it was like, you know, um, that was going to distribute like um, organic, really good quality food. And as a nutritionist, that's very important to me. And they're very happy to accept my donation in December and then when the uh, media turned, um, they returned it back to me. So um, that was really interesting that my money was no longer wanted from them. Um, and they and it was just everything that I believe in and support. So there was just a lot of, I guess, hurt feelings. I've always been a really great nurse. I love my babies. I love the families. I always have really great connections and relationships with them. And then all of a sudden, now that my the media slandered my name and made it sound that I was um, putting preemies at risk and I was endangering their lives, all wow. of a sudden I had all these families calling the unit um, was Kristen working when I, my baby was in there? My baby was in there like several years ago when Kristen was working and now everyone feared for their child's life because I was in the hospital. So my career is gone. Um, my jobs are gone. I will never be able to work as uh, a nurse again with how the media has slandered me. There's just too much liability for hospitals to take that on. Despicable. Wow. And, yeah. and you know something, listen, folks, what you're, what you're seeing here, if you're just coming in now, the middle of the movie, you don't even know the plot. What we're talking about here are nurses who have told the truth. It's very simple. They have told you the truth that you're experiencing, what your children are experiencing. And yet we have hatred toward these people. Listen, if you want to hate somebody, you know, go to Genghis Kong or Hitler. They're much more villainous than people like frontline nurses who want you to know what's really going on so you can make the most educated decision, the most informed decision about your health care as it relates to what's going on today in this world. So I want to thank each and every one of you. If it's okay, I do want to end on a positive note, though, because I kind of just laid out all the ugly. But oh, all right. All, all right. I, know. I, I need to always end on a positive. So, Go ahead. yes, that was all, like, ugly and intense and, you know, awful. And true. And true. And, true. and I felt it. I had days of crumbled on the floor crying fine. But I picked myself up stronger and, and, and better and knew I was standing in purpose. I, I chose that this was going to be the time I was going to feel the rejection. I was going to go against the grain. I didn't care about fitting in anymore or being accepted. And when I finally stood in um, my true power, in my authentic self, in my uniqueness and who I was, 
that's when so many doors have opened. Like, I can't believe the amount of opportunities that have been coming my way, the connections I've made from these women, from even being on this call with you guys. Um, there's like a chapter in a book we were asked, Sarah and I, that we're asked to write in. Um, and just like all these amazing opportunities keep coming. And I feel Great. so much relief and happier than working in a corruption where I had to be silenced. And well, you've got to surrender yourself to who you, your exactly. most authentic self is, yeah. uh, is being uh, tossed aside. Yeah, I wouldn't trade any of it. You well, guys are amazing. I mean that that seems to be like the most beautiful thing about what you all have going right now is that for other nurses that are out there and people that are frontline workers and healthcare professionals um there's a group there's a place you can go you know to find some some solace and at least hang out with like-minded people and that's getting to be more and more important in these trying times for all of us, for sure. I mean, George and I are trying to do for the media what you guys are doing in the healthcare world, and it's the same uphill battle for us. I mean, believe me, uh, and the media, I don't know how they sleep at night, you know, <laughs> these guys yeah. that, that that can't uh, can't even allow your perspective, which is a rational perspective. I, I start, you know, I'm not asking people to think like I do. I'm just asking to have a debate, a re, you know, just have some respect for people that have an alternative perspective. I mean, this, this well, whole, you, can't have a you know, debate shaming, they're going firing. To, right. They're going to incriminate themselves the moment, you, <laughs> the moment you start. Are they afraid of being me? wrong? Yeah. Are they afraid that maybe, <laughs> maybe they're doing the wrong thing? <laughs> you know, right. Well, okay. Listen, we're, we're, we got to wrap this up. We're at yeah, uh, yeah. 45. Wow. This I, is incredible. We're going to bring you guys back though. Believe me, this is not the end of it. There's more to this story. We could do this all day and never touch the same subject matter twice. I am sure. I, so uh, I want to thank all of you guys, uh, for, for uh, joining us, including, uh, Dr. Mark McDonald and, uh, Jess who had to leave a little earlier and Alex as well. But for the rest of you guys, Catherine, Nicole, Kristen, Sarah, our hearts are with you. Our minds are with you. I want you to know that you have our unrequited support. I've been talking to Sarah. You and I do a lot of talking, eh, Sarah? And, and Much, I, I mean, I've tried to help you with your merch and some business stuff and what I'm going to continue to do that. I'm here to help you guys and share my knowledge in whatever capacity can help to keep your ship afloat because I think it's vital and your voices are much louder than those who are saying nothing and who are not giving us the true good. So stay the course. There are yeah. people out there who truly respect, love and admire you. And I am one of them. So thanks very much for coming on behind the line, the facts and the fiction, Doug, take us away. Well, let's go around the circle one more time. I wanted to ask these nurses, you know, what are your recommendations to other nurses that maybe are in the situation that you were in six or eight months ago where they have a different, they're at work, they have a different feeling about what's going on and they're, and they're alone and they're afraid to speak out. And then um, please give any information uh, if people can find out more about your work. I don't know if it's all just the one, uh, the global front frontline nurses website, or if each one of you, maybe if you have another personal website, you want to, you want to throw people towards. So Catherine, do you just want to answer that final question and give out the websites or any other info that you want people to know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think for any nurses now that are, are frustrated and having a hard time with what's going on in hospitals, I think we, um, we need to shift out of the mindset of fear and um, be empowered by the truth 
and start making decisions out of um, out of that position of power and 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 out of fear and and know that using our intuition um, and doing the right thing and speaking the truth will always get you uh, to the right place. And um, if there are any nurses out there that would like to come forward and share their stories that need support, that need guidance, you can uh, reach out to us. Um, Sarah and uh, Kristen have Canadian frontline nurses. Uh, we're all on Global Frontline Nurses. Uh, we have a Facebook group. Um, and you can reach out to any one of us on our Facebook pages and um, find the support that you need. And um, we we have all found our God courage. And so um, we're just hoping that um, the rest of the nurses, you know, we make up, I think it was, I think I said in my speech, it was 58% of the healthcare force is nurses. Um, so we, we have the power to change change the tides and change the system. So now it's the time to stand up and um, yeah, find that God courage. Great. And uh, Nicole, any last words? Yeah, just uh, if you're someone who needs early intervention for COVID, I, I just can't stress this enough. Early intervention is your best like intervention because once you get into that hospital, they're going to lock you away from your family. And you are at the mercy of the healthcare professionals and no one is going to fight for you. Okay. I absolutely guarantee that my Facebook messenger is overran with people needing help fighting to get treatment, literally some type of treatment other than a ventilator um, for their loved one in the hospital. So um, there are multiple telehealth um, that are available. Uh, one that people keep sending me is myfreedoctor.com. And you can pay cash, like 50 bucks or something, for a telehealth appointment. And they specialize in just hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, like all of that, budesonide, uh, fibrofinate or whatnot. Um, and they're going to, they'll call it into your pharmacy. So there are telehealths like that. Don't think that there is not treatment and you just have to hope to get better or you get worse and you end up on a ventilator because you don't want to end up in that hospital. Early intervention is your best key. And I mean, you don't have to believe me. Those people in those telehealth appointments, they're, they're doctors. They're licensed, bonded, all of that stuff. Uh, real live doctors. So you don't have to believe me as a nurse. You can believe those doctors that they will prescribe you medication um, that will help get you through COVID. Okay. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Your best defense is, is early intervention. I used to be able to say your best defense is a good nurse, but I can't say that anymore because they're going to choose their job over wow. you. They're not going to fight for you. Wow. Okay. Wow. Your best defense is early intervention and staying out of that hospital to begin with. Right. Nah. Yep. And you can find me on um, Facebook um, with my name, Nicole Sirotek. Uh, it's also the same for Twitter and Instagram and uh, feel free to me, follow. Um, we do a lot of education on things that are going on. Um, I believe our next uh we have a weekly every Tuesday podcast called Ask the Nurses where we bring special guests on. And then we do, uh, you know, special episodes just educating on things. I think on Monday, I just talked about the pharmacokinetics of ivermectin and awesome. things like that, showing people the research because I was a former biochemist before I was a nurse. So um, we're just here to educate and try and help patients because I don't feel like telling people to go get early intervention so you don't die is quackery. I mean, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
there's something called science and they've figured out, you know, how to deal with this early on. So you don't have to just wait until you have to go to the it's hospital. It's like they're trying to get around the science, though. That's what they're trying to exclude the science now. Nuts. Suddenly. I have this phrase. It's called science doesn't lie. People lie. Because I go into some of those research articles, like the, the most recent emergency use authorization for another emergency use authorization medication for a treatment for COVID. I mean, mind you, you have to be critical in the hospital before you'll get it. Well, wait a they minute. Do you agree? That, pop well, hang on. I got a question here. There's this, uh, a lab scientist who put a video out. And he said that out of 1,500 uh, so-called COVID samples that they checked the research showed that it was influenza A and influenza B, but no oh, COVID. I think that was like that Berkeley professor or something like that. He debunked that. Somebody made that. It was false. He even put it up on his like staff page for his university. Mm. And I kind of question that when I, yeah, that's, I kind of um, question that to begin with because there was grammatical errors and people with PhDs who publish extensive research don't make grammatical errors like Absolutely. that. Yeah. So that is like that thing that went around, like was not true because he even said on his like staff page, because you can find that doctor on his like university staff faculty page. He even said, uh, wear a mask, wash your hands, stay home. So that should tell you something. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What's he, what's that he means doing? That, that post is not, not anything he wrote. If he's telling you to wash your hands, stay home and wear a mask. Okay. How, how do you fire him? It, it right. <laughs> it is worth noting that if hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin were considered uh, actual um, treatment, part of the treatment protocols, then emergency use authorization is out the window because if there's other treatments, then you don't mm -hmm. get to call the vaccines emergency use. Not enough people know that. And uh, so there's mm -hmm. motive. There, there's there would motive. be no emergency. There would be no emergency right. if we had treatment. Well, cool. And Kristen, uh, what is your uh, recommendation to other nurses then that, that want to speak out but can't? And then some contact info, if you like. Yeah, um, I just want them to know that they are they're safe and protected. That is scary as it seems. There's an army of support waiting for you. Um, we're there every step of the way. Um, you know, you have Sarah and I in Canada. Have the rest of Nicole, Catherine, Alex, um, and the rest of the team in in the states. And we do have other nurses from the UK, Australia, even Sweden. Um, in kind of our, our contact. So they're there. There is an army behind you. We're working on an amazing legal case in Ontario um, to help protect all the nurses as well. So that's kind of in, in the works, which we're really excited about. And uh, I don't know, just I think right now you just have to choose what side of history you want to be on. And right knowing on. when you choose mm -hmm. like what side of history you're going to be on, know that when you are on the right side, you're always going to be protected and we're there for you. And you can find Sarah and I at CanadianFrontlineNurses.ca and email us at CFLN at ProtonMail.com. And I just wanted to kind of piggyback off of Nicole's comment about your best defense is also empowering yourself with information. Don't take our word for anything. Don't take the media. Don't just listen to things you say. Empower yourself with your own knowledge. Bring it yeah. from your head into your heart and know that you have everything you need within yourself. Stop relying on everyone else around you to protect yourself. Start protecting you. Like we are only responsible for our own being. So start bringing it in and uh, realizing you have everything you need within yourself. Fantastic. Huh. Well, we're going to bring you guys back to do updates on this legal challenge. When, when, when are you expecting to release that? Do you know? 
No, not yet. We'll give you updates. Okay. okay. Well, <laughs> let's get back together and regroup when that's ready to get launched so we can let all the nurses know that there is some additional support because I know a number of nurses who are afraid to speak out right now. They call me or they want to send me emails about their cases and they act like they're doing it for their friend, but I know it's for themselves. So right. I'm aware. I'm aware nurses. I know <laughs> I got your emails, Doug. So, why don't so you, uh, well, let's yeah, let Sarah, Doug, let's let Sarah say, uh, say her final bit and, and, yeah. uh, and, and pitch, uh, the, the, um, global frontline nurses for us and, and let us know where we can find out more information and let nurses know what they can do to seek help. Well, I feel like everybody said everything already, but again, I want to come back to standing in your truth because it, from my experience, my personal individual experience, all my life I struggled until I was able to stop, look back and face my truth. And then I was able to grow and build myself better. And I want people to realize it's the exact same thing that's what's happening with our world. It's really messy right now. You know, people are realizing that there's truth. Where is it? What is it? What's going on? It's really messy. It's really scary. But, you know, us nurses, it's our job. We need to stand in our truth and stand in our power and, mm -hmm. and face this so that we can move ahead and grow from this and leave this detrimental death care system behind. So, yeah, I'm like, and it's so liberating. It, you know, once you speak out, like it's so stressful, you, you're going crazy inside. Right. I know most. Oh, you should have are. seen her October 7th. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of nurses are going crazy, but, but I mean, once you do it, you know, it's really hard for, it's not that long, like maybe a week or I don't know for everybody it's different. But I mean, after that, I mean, you can breathe. You're liberated. You know, you did what's right. Come on, yeah. let's do it. We got this. Let the passion flow. Well, so you know, cool. building on what, uh, building on, uh, sorry, what uh, Catherine said earlier about she could no longer see herself, you know, maintaining her health, not speaking out, living a lie, carrying all this junk around in your mind. So let's make this simple for the viewers. To those of you who are living in denial, and remember, denial is not a river in Egypt. It's an ego defense. Folks, let's stop this minimizing and theorizing and analyzing and dissociating. Mental health is the acceptance of reality at any cost, as you ladies have shown. You're willing to even give up your jobs. Mental health is the accept of acceptance of reality at every cost, and mental illness is the denial of reality at every cost. Ascribe that or apply that to your own situations when you are challenging your ethical voices, those moral voices in your head that keep you held hostage in this drama, like a prisoner. If you want to wake up, accept reality the way it is. Fake until you make it if you have to, but join the rest of us who are speaking the truth. It's not hate speech. This is freedom speech, and it's allowing you to make informed decisions that currently Big Pharma, the technocracy that we're experiencing out there right now, will deny you. So thanks for listening today. I want to thank every one of you for showing up again to Mark McDonald and Jess uh, and Alex for being a part of the panel. You, Catherine, Nicole, you guys are all incredible. Kristen and Sarah, thank you so much. Doug, take us out. 
Well, and I just want to thank you all for coming out and speaking out and telling your stories. I do a lot of interviews and I don't hear, you know, firsthand accounts of being on the front line and seeing what I know you all have seen um, and how challenging and difficult it must have been to speak out. So thank you so much for your courage. I hope that other nurses and other frontline workers are hearing this. Uh, and they take the message to heart and they find the strength to go on the internet and look you guys up and find that group of that support network that they need because they are doing the right thing. You don't you have to follow the system just because the system is telling you what to do. You can do what you know is right, uh, even if it costs you your job, even if it costs you uh, some friends. Uh, it's worth it. We hear your stories and we hear how good it felt um, for all of you to come forward and speak your truth uh, and know that in your heart, you felt like what you were doing was the right thing. So thank you so much for your courage and thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure having this conversation. And I will just let people know that I have been very happy to be the co-host of Behind the Line, The Facts and the Fiction. Uh, my name is Doug McKenty, and you can find my stuff. I am the host of the podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty. So you can find all that at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, I am on Twitter at McKenty right now. Probably my personal Facebook page is the one to go to. Just look up Doug McKenty on Facebook. And I'm also on Telegram at The Shift with Doug McKenty. Uh, and um, quite a few other social media sites. I'm waiting to see which other ones outside of the of the mainstream corporate network are, are the is the place to be. But the Telegram, uh, Telegram is actually working out pretty well. And I'm just urging people to go to the website. So one more time, theshiftnow.com, and you can check out all my stuff. Lots of content there. George, you want to take it away? Tell people about the line. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for showing up here, folks. Today, I am George Roach. I am the executive director of The Line Canada and The Line International, along with my co-producer for Behind the Line, The Facts and the Fiction, Doug McKenty, as you just heard from The Shift. I want to thank you all for showing up. Our next episode is going to include a Canadian military man who spoke at one of our protests at Dundas Square in Toronto back on December the 5th. We will proudly have him on our show, Behind the Line, within the next week or so. Check your Facebook. Check our Twitter, The Line Canada, at The Line Media, The Line Canada on Instagram, and The Line Canada on Facebook for further details. Folks, thanks for taking the time to listen to this great conversation with Global Frontline Nurses. Have a wonderful evening. On behalf of everybody here at The Line and The Shift Now, I'm George Roach. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much.